Let's talk about that time when we're going to be seeing the Lord. Thanks, Bob. I appreciate you helping with the service that way. We're headed to the book of Revelation. Revelation, for your benefit of wanting to be slower, I will slow this down. <laughs> Revelation chapter 20. Revelation 20. That's as long as it goes. Revelation 20. Let's read a text that, as I mentioned this morning, the theme, the, there's, a, there's a teaching in scriptures that is throughout the Old Testament one of the predominant events talked about as far as throughout the Bible and the, the scriptures that are given. It is that millennium that's mentioned probably more than any other topic. And then it culminates in the book of Revelation. We get to that, that final episode of it where it introduces the, the kingdom is at hand. That is in Revelation 20 verse 1. I saw an angel come down from heaven having the key of the bottomless pit <clears throat> and a great chain in his hand. He had he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, Satan, and bound him a thousand years, cast him into the bottomless pit, shut him up, and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed for a season. We're going to talk next Sunday morning. Why does he say he must be loosed? What is the purpose for just a thousand-year kingdom before we get into eternity? So we'll deal with that next week. And I saw thrones and them that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Christ and for the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, nor received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. They lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead live not again until the thousand years are finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of the God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Let's continue with uh, that discussion we were ending up with this morning. We, uh, we pretty much answered this, but we left something open. We said, okay, the people who are going to be entering into the kingdom that God is going to set up on earth, we said, well, we know it's Jesus Christ and it's his angels. We know that. Okay, that's a given. We said as well that those who are part of the first resurrection, which would include the Old Testament saints, so in that 75-day gap between the return of Jesus Christ and the actual inauguration of the kingdom, the Old Testament saints will be brought back with their bodies from the earth. They'll be revived, <clears throat> resurrected, and their body and spirits will be put back together so they can live in this earthly kingdom. We said that it's us who are entering into the kingdom because wherever Christ is, we'll be with him after the rapture. We know that. We said as well that there's another group. It's those who we talked about in this text, the verse 4 and 5, talking about those who had not taken the mark and not worshipped the beast, who had died for the cause of Christ. They will be resurrected. Their bodies and spirits put back together. They will then go into the kingdom. And then we mentioned as well that there's another group of individuals who enter the the kingdom, those who survived the, the end of the tribulation through the seven years, they have put faith in Christ, they were um, <clears throat> sympathetic to the Jews, they are the ones who are the sheep that helped to feed, to clothe, visit and imprison the Jews who are struggling, they will go into the kingdom. So those who enter in the kingdom. But there's another group of people that we don't have a lot of information about, but we know they're there. We have some verses that indicate very clearly that there's another large group of people who will be added to the mix in time in the kingdom. The Bible gives us an indication that there will be birth taking place during the thousand-year kingdom. Don't panic, okay? 
Don't, don't jump and say, oh no, do we have perpetual pregnancies in, in heaven like some different cults teach. No, no, we'll talk about that next Sunday night, the resurrection bodies. It's not the individuals who have the resurrected bodies. But there's going to be birth of people and the conclusion it must be by process of elimination. Those who go in with their regular bodies who survived the tribulation, they're going to be bearing children. And so they enter in as all born again people. But then in the kingdom, the Bible says there's going to be people born. There's several verses that indicate this. One is that the infant of days, he'll be called, you know, 100 years old, he'll be an infant. But the inference is there's infants. The inference goes even a little bit stronger. For they shall not labor in vain nor bring forth trouble. For they are the seed of the blessed of the Lord and their offspring with them. So there's some type of birth taking place that are going to benefit. And it shall come to pass that you shall divide by lot for an inheritance unto you and to the strangers that sojourn among you which shall beget children among you. So both the Jews who survived at the end of the tribulation, the Gentiles who survived physically, go in with their normal bodies, they're bearing children. There will be Jews, there will be Gentiles being born during that kingdom period and they will have the inheritance in that kingdom. <clears throat> and so we make that comment, that conclusion that people are being birthed during that time. Let's, uh, let's do a summation here. There will be a lot of birthing done during that period of time. There will be a lot of people that will be born. Uh, how do I know that? He says, and the King James says, I will hiss, literally I'll whistle. I'll whistle for them and gather them, for I have redeemed them, and they shall increase as they increase. The idea is the Jews will expand in number like, like they have plus some in the past. And so there will be a tremendous amount of birthing taking place among the Gentiles. We also know that because in this text, which we'll look a little bit further next week, at the end of this thousand years, in verses 7 and 8, there's going to be a rebellion of people who were born during that time period, who were not yet, who, who, who entered that time period not born again. They, well, they were birthed and they needed to get born again, but a number of them won't get born again. They'll live in it, they'll enjoy it, and at the end there's some of those people who lived in the kingdom, but they never accepted Christ. It says that a number of them, as the sand of the sea, will rebel. Again, we'll talk about that next week. But indication, there's a lot of people in the kingdom who never got born again. Well, they couldn't have entered it, but they were born during that time period, and then at the end they'll rebel against Christ. And so we look at that and say, okay, let's do the math. Let's just figure this out for a second. You who are really good at math, you can figure this one out. Okay, if finances are not an issue for family size anymore, because there's, there's no economic issues, there's no problems, you could afford to have a thousand children. And I know you're excited by that. There was no amens at all. But nobody is going to have a financial dilemma to say, hey, wait a minute, we don't want to have a lot of kids because the finances. No problem. As well, think this through, if the intense pain of the childbearing that was part of the curse is removed, childbearing isn't as difficult for ladies, okay? Some of you still aren't excited, okay, about that prospect. If people live long lives, if all of a sudden we go back to that like it was pre-flood, if all of a sudden people are living to be six, seven, eight hundred years old, you can have a lot of babies, you take away all these other factors that usually we say because your bodies aren't going to be aging the way that they age now. 
When I say you, it's not us. Just kind of relax, okay? Not the resurrected, but the people during that time period with regular earthly bodies. They live a long time. They can have a lot of children. If there's no disease, if there's no illness, okay, take away that factor if it's almost non-existent. If death is at a minimum, how big could a family get in a thousand years? You know, and then not only your birthing, but then their birthing, and then so this, this idea of, of, you know, just populating the earth in a thousand years, it's just, it's, it's an explosion of planet earth with people being born during that time period. And as a result, the, the world is just going to be over, uh, is going to be repopulated very, very, very quickly with people who have the regular bodies but living and not, not experiencing, you know, the difficulties that we experience during this time. And so we know that those people born during that time period, they're going to have a sin nature. Okay? Because everybody has one who's birth. Um, so they're going to have it. They will need to be saved. They will need to hear the gospel. They will need to be ministered unto. They will need to be governed. Because again, they, unless they're born again, the Spirit of God's not in them, there's going to need to be governing of those individuals. The reason I'm giving all this information is because that's part of what we're going to be doing in the kingdom. We're going to have a role in governing. We're going to have a role in probably influencing people who are being birthed during that time. We're going to have a role as serving as kings and priests during that time period. The main teachers are going to be some of the select Jews. But we're going to have a role in trying to influence a lot of these people who are born during that time, growing up during that time, and trying to influence them for the Lord Jesus Christ. So when we take it into specifics, what will we be doing during this time? Let's kind of highlight it with one general statement. First of all, we can just summarize that we're going to be serving the Lord. All of us will be serving the Lord when we get there. How do I know that? Here's the text that says in Daniel 7, the greatness of the kingdom shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. So there's going to be an obedience. There's going to be a spirit of serving. There's going to be an idea of, okay, let's do what the Lord wants. People will comply for the most part. Even if they're not motivated by an inner desire, they're going to be motivated by an outward, an outward compulsion. But we who are born again, go into the kingdom born again, we're going to rule and reign with Jesus. The reason I say that is if you look at, Je at Revelation 20, it start, starts in verse 4. Let, let's do the first part of the verse. It says, I saw thrones and they that sat upon them and judgment was given unto them. What do you notice about the words in that verse? We know Jesus is going to be sitting upon a throne but what do you catch in this verse? There, there's more than one throne and there's more than one person ruling because we got they and them. Okay and so then he talks about that other, then he goes on and talks about those who were beheaded for the witness of Christ, they neither received the image nor his mark, they lived and they do what? They reign with Christ a thousand years. So there's indication in Scripture that one of the things we're going to be doing is we're going to be ruling and reigning, and there's going to be multiple people involved in this ruling and reigning. That makes sense because there's going to be, um, there's going to be uh, population throughout the world. Without the re, without, uh, throughout the regenerated world, the revived world. And so there's going to be people representing the leadership of Jesus Christ in different cities, different countries, different levels of communities. And he makes it fit in this passage that other people are going to be involved. We know that Old Testament individuals will be a part of it. Behold, a king shall reign in princes, 
plural again, shall be in judgment. So the who that's involved with this, we're going to start with saying, okay, number one in this text, it's those who were martyred. They're clearly going to be reigning with Christ. Those who suffered death during the cause of the tribulation. We also know that it's going to be the Old Testament saints because they are said in the book of Daniel to possess the kingdom. That has the idea of to be an authority, to be in powerful positions. We know as well that the 12 apostles are going to be at levels of ruling. Now I'm not saying that we're at the same level as them, but they're going to be ruling. How do we know that? In the regeneration when the Son of Man shall sit on the throne of his glory, you shall sit upon the 12 thrones. So we're going to understand that Christ is over, then he's probably disseminated to the 12 and given them authority, and then authority is at another level, another level, another level, until it comes down to the local level. Somewhere in between there we're going to be involved as well as Old Testament saints who are faithful, martyred saints of the tribulation, as well as, um, and I, I, I assumed it without even saying it, we are said that we will reign with him. We are said to be the ones who will judge the world at some time. We are said to be made priests and kings. So we're going to have a role in this leadership. In fact, Jesus gives a parable in Luke 19. And he talks in Luke 19 about a leader, a nobleman, who is, who is there. And the people are thinking at the beginning of this story, they're saying to Jesus, oh, you're going to set up your kingdom. You're going to set up a kingdom. He introduces a parable. He says there's a certain ruler who leaves for a period of time. I'm going to look at it more in depth at the end of this study. But he ends up saying that those who were faithful... When the ruler leaves, he gives people different responsibilities. When he comes back, they're held in accountability. And he calls them before him. Those who were faithful with the money he gave them, he says they will be given cities to rule over. Interesting that all of a sudden he changes it from monies to cities that they're going to rule in, all in light of the kingdom. And he's explaining some of that aspect that that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be ruling and reigning with him. Not only that, we're going to be involved with worship of Jesus Christ. During the kingdom, there's going to be temple sacrifices. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But there's going to be a lot of activity. We read that it came to pass everyone shall even go up year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, because Jesus is going to headquarter himself at Jerusalem. And as people are worshiping, they're going to travel to Jerusalem. They're going to celebrate the feasts that, uh, that will be celebrated. We'll go up to Jerusalem. The inhabitants shall go to one another saying, let us go quickly to pray before the Lord. Lord, to seek the Lord of hosts. Many will seek the Lord in Jerusalem and pray before him. There is indication though that some of the people born during this time period will not be excited or really, really take advantage of going to worship. We read in Zechariah, it shall be that whoso will not come up of all the families of the earth unto Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, even upon them shall be no rain. And if a family of Egypt go not up and come not, there shall be a plague wherewith the Lord shall smite the heathen that come not to keep the feast." So though it is the general requirement, there will be some people during that time period who will not want to go to worship, who will hesitate to go to worship. They will be disciplined for it. And how they respond, well, that will work itself out as time goes by. The center activity is the new temple. There's all kinds of discussion about this new temple. We know 
that there was the temple of old. We know it was rebuilt after the Nehemiah and Haggai in their time period it was rebuilt. We know that it was modified and built once again by Herod who expanded it. We know that that was all destroyed and then there's going to be a temple during the tribulation. In the book of Ezekiel it gives us description of the new millennial kingdom temple and it's massive compared to the temples of the old uh, of the past years. And so we get a lot of description. Uh, This isn't the message I want to take and develop all that description. I just want to give you a few details. If you go through Ezekiel, you'll find specifically mentioned animal sacrifices will be introduced once again. And people involved with worshiping the Lord will come and make animal sacrifice. We also know that from the book of Ezekiel that one of the lines of the Levitical priests of the Aaronic priesthood, that of Zadok, will be the priests who will handle most of that sacrifice because there was a faithfulness that they displayed up until the dispersion. And so when we start thinking about the sacrifices being reinstated, the big question that comes up is why? Why are we doing animal sacrifices? Some have suggested that the reason you do animal sacrifices is for the removal of sin. Folks, let me just state around that. Animal sacrifices never removed sin. They never did. Not even, in, not even before the death of Christ. All they did was they served as a covering but they never, they never expiated the sin. There was only one sacrifice that removed sin. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Okay, and if somebody says, well, why did they do it? It was a covering. It was a display of repentance. And it's just like your credit card. You buy with your credit card. But even though you buy something and take it home, do you still have to pay it? You're supposed to say, absolutely, yes. Okay. The payment has to be... So all that those sacrifices were by, a, by a, poor, a poor analogy, they were just a credit card payment. Okay? They were just a, they were just a display that there is going to come the ultimate payment eventually, and Jesus Christ was the ultimate payment. So for people to say, the reason that we're going to make sacrifices is to, is to have our sins expiated, uh-uh. That's all with Jesus Christ. There is not bull, the blood of bulls and coats cannot take away sin. It's only the blood of Jesus Christ. But is there a possibility that in that practice that some of those who are living in that time period who do disobey the Lord, that they have to do this as part of their repentance? I don't know about that. I don't know. That Some suggest that. This much I do think is absolute. Is that we're doing where the involvement of sacrifice is very similar to our communion today. Our communion is done in this do in remembrance. And so the sacrifices are going to be a reflection backwards to what Jesus Christ did. And they'll be just like our communion today. Our communion is just a recalling of what Jesus did. Can our communion service be used to reach souls who need to be born again? Yes, the New Testament makes it very clear that we have to do it in such a way so that when those who come in, that we can show how, how to get born again. And so in the same way, this sacrifice is going to be a very clear illustration, instructive tool done to the people born during that time. As they come up, they're obligated to come and do the worship if they want rain, if they want the prosperity. And so they come and they're going to see a visual um, object lesson looking back to what Christ did and it's going to be displayed in the animal sacrifices. 
and there'll be a tool that God will use once again to try to woo those people to a saving knowledge of him. What else do we do? We said we're going to serve. We said that we'll rule. We said we're going to worship. We, we no doubt have some type of influence upon those who are being born during that time period. Maybe, maybe we're sharing our testimonies. Maybe what we're doing is we're sharing our experiences from this lifetime as a lesson to them. Because again, remember at the very end of this time period, who is going to be let loose? Satan. Okay? And maybe what we do is we tell them how the devil is a sly old fox. And he is dangerous. And we're warning them all, all to get them to have faith in Jesus Christ and to serve him, not by compulsion, but by an inward motivation, the way you serve Jesus Christ. What else do we do? We're going to learn more. We're going to learn a lot more. We read in Isaiah 2. It says, Come ye and let us go up in the mountain of the Lord to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways. Now, wouldn't that be a cool seminary training? That Jesus Christ is the teacher? Wow. Okay. And he says, He will teach us his ways. We will walk in his path. For out of Zion shall go forth the law. Now remember, part of his ways aren't just a spiritual aspect, but part of the book of Proverbs. Did the book of Proverbs his ways? Okay. That he talks about teach your child to walk in these ways. What other topics did he deal with besides just being saved? What life actions does the book of Proverbs deal with? It talks about parenting, everyday things, handling money. What else? Okay. Okay, talking about the idea of, of how to work, the idea of how to react with one another. Again, remember those people who have a sin nature, they've got to deal with that. And we're going to be helping them. And so the Word of God deals with practical people relationships, deals with social relationships, community relationships. There's going to be instruction on how to live how to live right. So we're going to be learning. They shall teach, their children shall be taught. And again, we mentioned this last week, putting it together. Remember, when we go to heaven, we don't become God. We don't have his knowledge. We still are asking questions. We're still learning. And so we're learning God's ways, God's, God's um, principles. And so even in the kingdom, we're going to be learning. People around us will be learning. So we're going to be doing other things like building or rebuilding. Multiple texts talks about they shall build the old ways. They shall raise up the things that have been desolated. They shall repair the wasted cities, desolations of many generations or nations. They will build houses and inhabit them, and so we're going to be involved in a building program. What are you building? I don't know. Okay, how big of buildings can you build? I don't know, but there's going to be building. There's going to be learning. There's going to be farming that is going to be done. Okay, and I, I you know, said about how my wife and I this morning we can grow weeds. We can kill really good plants too. We're really talented at that. The only plants that survive in our house are plastic, and those only by you know the the chin chin chin. I'm we we destroy. But in this time, we're going to be pretty good at it. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna have crops. It says you shall he shall give rain to your seed. They shall plant vineyards. I will no more give your corn to be meat to others. And so we're going to be involved with farming and productivity. We're going to be involved with raising animals. Okay, maybe you'll have those strange pets in the kingdom. Maybe you're going to be involved with domesticated animals, but he talks about the strangers, that's Gentiles, shall stand and feed your flocks. The sons of the foreigners shall be the plowmen for the Jews, the oxen likewise, the young asses. There's going to be a lot of activity when it comes to just 
taking care of normal daily things. So we're going to be busy in that regard. Some suggest we're going to be involved with fishing. They base it on this phrase, the abundance of the sea shall be turned towards you. I, I don't know. Does that mean we're all going to get the bumper crop where, where we put our nets out and our nets will be overflowing? I, I don't know. But there's going to be these activities that we're involved in. The point being is that whatever we're involved in, there's productivity and there's profit. And so we're going to be involved, engaged in living. We're going to be engaged in work. We're going to be engaged with a lot of life activities. And, and we have to back up and say, remind our kids, remind others as we're teaching them, work is not a result of the curse. Work was a part of the garden of Eden, tending the garden, caring for the garden. Work Work is a good thing. Productivity is something that's built into us. And if we don't produce, it, we're harmed emotionally. And we're harmed even physically. And so we're going to be working. We're going to be active. So those who suggest that heaven is a very boring time, they have no idea what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches we're going to be active, we're going to be working. What we do is going to be productive, but we're going to be engaged in a lot of, a lot of everyday living things. Our labor will not be in vain. My elect shall long enjoy the work of the hand. You're going to enjoy your job. Now, isn't that a blessing? Okay, you won't dread Mondays. Okay, it'll be a, it'll be a climate that we're going to thoroughly enjoy what we're doing. And so it's a blessing in that regard. What it tells us as well is that the world is going to be very productive, very profitable. There's passages that talk about how people will bring some of their extra wealth as a form of tribute, as a form of praise, as a form of worship to Zion. About Jerusalem we read, Your gates shall be open continually, day and night. They shall not be shut, that the people may bring the wealth of the nations with the kings coming to worship Jesus Christ, to do, to do what the three wise men did, come and bring great gifts to Jesus Christ out of the abundance of our wealth. Maybe that's our tithe. Maybe it's our, our giving, whatever it may be. But we're going to be bringing to Jesus some of that benefit in giving him worship and honor, which means, by the way, we're going to travel. There's going to be traveling in the sense that people will be coming around the world towards Jerusalem and vice versa. Your gate shall be open continually day and night. People shall bring to you the wealth. So the world is going to be a very active world. It's going to be a very filled world. It's not going to be a lonely place. It's not going to be a boring place. It's going to be a very active, full existence socially. Um, it, it, it's just going to be phenomenal. Anything we, could, we would look forward to and say this would be satisfying. This is what we're going to be experiencing in the kingdom from that spiritual perspective. There's other things that are involved in what will we do. We're not going to fear, be fearful. We're not going to fret. But they that shall sit every man under his vine, under his fig tree, and none of that, he says, none shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. There's not going to be any threats to us. We won't have to be worried about our neighbors. We're not going to have to be worried about a different ethnic group. We're not going to have to be worried about a different political nation. There's going to be this satisfaction. There's going to be a, um, a worldwide cooperation. It's, it's phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. So you have all of that kingdom activity that we know about. Now how do we prepare for it? And that's the key that you and I need to live with right now. We have all that information on how great it will be. But what we need to make sure is these things. One, we've got to make sure we're born again, as I was concluding this morning. And if somebody has doubts, if your kids have doubts, don't force them, but keep on rehearsing with them. Help them to come to the point where they are absolutely sure. They don't want to miss it. 
This is, this is one event you don't want to miss. You want to be in this kingdom. And then there's the thought as we conclude this morning, you need to be serving. Talking about serving, what service do we do? How does this work? Let's go to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. In this passage, as I already mentioned, Luke 19, Jesus is teaching and talking about kingdom truth. And as he's talking about it, all of a sudden we read in Luke 19 that as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and they thought that the kingdom of God, I'm in verse 11 of Luke 19, they thought the kingdom of God should immediately appear. And so he's going to give them a story, a parable, that's going to explain some truths about the kingdom that they expect to be there at this moment. And so he tells them this story. And as he tells them the story, there's a lot of information here. He says, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. By the way, just to put this in perspective, what had happened in Jerusalem right around this same time period is one of Herod's sons, Herod had passed away just a few years before, one of Herod's sons had traveled to Rome to get confirmed as the new king of this region. And so these people knew that this was some of the politics of the recent history of their own realm, that one of the, one of the sons had to go to Jerusalem. He was called a king. He was a nobleman. He had to go to, to Rome to be confirmed as the real ruler and come back. When he went away, a lot of the Jews wanted to get rid of him. They sent an entourage following Herod's son saying, we don't want him. We don't want him. We don't want him. Give us somebody else. Caesar, don't reappoint another Herod. Watch the story as he tells how that, that uh, current affairs fits into the story. A certain nobleman went into the far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. He called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a message after him saying, We don't want this man to reign over us. And it came to pass that when he was returned, having received the kingdom, then he commanded those servants to be called unto him to whom he had given the money, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. The first came and saying unto him, Thy pound hath gained ten pounds. And he said unto him, Well done, thou good faithful servant, because thou hast been faithful in very little, have authority over ten cities. The second and says, Thy pound hath gained five pounds. He said likewise, be thou also over five cities. And another came saying, Lord, behold, here's your pound, which I have kept and laid up in a napkin, for I feared you, because you're an austere man. You take up and you lay down not, and reap where you did not sow. And the Lord, the ruler, said unto him, Out of your own mouth I will judge thee, wicked servant. He, you knew that I was an austere man, taking up that I laid not down, reaping where I did not sow. Wherefore then, gavest not thou my money into the bank, that at my coming I might have required of my own the interest. And he said unto them that stood by, Take from him the pound and give it to him that hath ten pounds. And they said, Lord, he already has ten pounds. And he goes on to say that unto everyone that hath shall be given. And he explains a little bit more. Let's make some thoughts here, some lessons that are very important, that are illustrated by this story. Number one, Jesus is illustrating this fact to a Judea, Judea, uh, Jewish audience. The kingdom is delayed longer than what you think. 
even though he had said repent, the kingdom is at hand, he is making it clear the kingdom is not going to be right now. They thought so. He says it's going to be delayed. He also says that as I leave, I'm going to give some of you responsibilities and opportunities. The word pounds is the word mina. It is three months wages, which is a substantial amount of money to pay somebody at that time. And he says, okay, I'm going to give you opportunities. You all have equal opportunities, so to speak, to do something. And I expect you to do something with it. That leads us to that thought. The ruler expects his servants to do something to become profitable with that which he puts into their hands and what he leaves behind. Even though there's opposition present, even though others don't want him to be the ruler, he's confident he's coming back. He's confident that he's going to call them into a question, into accountability. They're going to have to say, we did something profitable, even though there was people around us who didn't want you to be the ruler. Then we go on to this. The ruler calls the servants to give an accounting when he returns. Which, by the way, you put all this into the story and start making comparisons. Has Jesus given us opportunities to serve him? The answer is yes. Will he bring us into accountability one day? The answer is yes. Is there people around us who would oppose Jesus Christ and don't want him to have influence even upon us? The answer is yes, that's true. And so what happens, he says, the servants who are proactive and did something, they're going to be commended. Okay, and watching this story that the servants who did something, okay, they had different amounts of increase. They all didn't do the exact same thing, but they had increase. They did something. They, they were proactive in investing and trying to make a spiritual profit here. And so what he gives them as a reward for those who are faithful, he gives them more responsibility to serve. You can serve me in a greater way. You can become a ruler over a city. You can be all of a sudden given some uh, greater authority, greater opportunities, very similar to the future kingdom that he says is being delayed. This is exactly what he does when he gives kingdom assignments out. Based upon faithfulness, not upon the, the comparison of results that we all had one to another, but whether you were faithful and proactive with what opportunities you had. Because they vary between us. But did you do something? Did you try to serve? Or did you hide it because the opposition, because the fear factor that you didn't want to do anything? You didn't want to disappoint. You didn't want to fail. So you just didn't do anything. Or did you try? Did you serve the way he wanted you to serve with what opportunities he gave? Well, if you did, he says, I'm going to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant, and give you opportunities to serve, which could include that leading in cities. There will be some servants who do nothing who, with what they're entrusted because they fear, because they might be influenced by the naysayers. They might be influenced even by church people who are naysayers. Don't serve Jesus. Don't stretch your neck out. Don't do too much. Don't get so involved. And they discourage. Those individuals will not be commended, but they will be rebuked. And as, as the illustration goes, as the story goes. And so they lose what is entrusted to them, and as a result, they don't get that commendation by Jesus Christ. And so we know that these are all very realistic parallels to what's happening in our world. Loyalty and active service now means merit and commendation in the future. 
So if I stop and think this through, I've got to be faithful now. I've got to be faithful now. It's going to make all the difference of what I do in that kingdom of God. The incentive is laid before me. I need to be faithful in the opportunity that I'm given. My opportunity is to teach, to lead, to shepherd. Your opportunity could be deaconing. Your opportunity could be teaching a class. Your opportunity could be holding a Bible study. Your opportunity could be ministering to the others in the congregation by nursery or junior church. Your opportunity that's laid before you could be just praying for other individuals on a regular basis. Your opportunity could be giving out gospel tracts. Your opportunity could be ministering in outreach in different ways, shapes, and, and avenues. Don't be fearful and to say, I'll hold back and I'll save it for a rainy day. You need to be working hard for the reigning day when we will rule and reign with Jesus Christ. Give your efforts now. We will have time to rest later on, but labor for the Lord now. Even though it's intimidating, even though there's opposition, what we do now in being faithful determines what opportunities of service we have in the future. Phenomenal how he's, he's going to reward us. And he says, it doesn't make any difference how big your profit, how big your productivity, it's that you did something with what opportunities you have. That you don't just sit back and hide, but you invest. You do something proactive. You actually are, are you actually serving Christ with the opportunities given you? That's the question of this whole idea of the kingdom passage. Is are we serving? He gave that, ma that material to the Old Testament saints, encouraging faithfulness because you have a kingdom coming. You and I, he does the same thing. We have a kingdom in the future. Be faithful. Serve to the best of your abilities. Don't, don't get distracted. Don't run the wrong race, as we said this morning. Serve the Lord to the best of your abilities. As opportunities are laid out in front of you, don't just run from them. Consider them. Is this something that God could use in my life? And is this something that I could invest in for future gain and reward? Father, I pray that you'd help us in our life and in our activity to really seriously be focused on this idea of laboring now for future reward. You've given us the information. You've told us that for a reason, to give us incentive, to give us encouragement. Help us to be people of a mindset that we will labor, not linger. That we will extend ourselves, not, not contract and quietly stay in a corner. Help us to be serving this day, this week, to the best of our abilities for the glory of Jesus Christ. Thank you for this hope of the future. Help us because of these promises, to have encouragement to just do more for Jesus, in whose name I pray. Amen.